From the Heritage Foundation, this is Heritage Explains. Princeton University currently houses the papers and correspondence of America's third president, Thomas Jefferson. In this collection, there are many interesting items. One of them is a letter written to President Jefferson in 1805 on behalf of a woman named Jane McGraw, a resident of the District of Columbia. Jane, it turns out, was found guilty of the offense of retailing liquors contrary to law and had been assigned a fee of $16 which equates to a value of over $400 today. According to the custom of the time, she was imprisoned until she came up with the money to pay her fine. One of the few options available to the poor of the District of Columbia who were imprisoned in this manner at this time was to petition the president, and Jane McGraw did so. Her petition states that, quote, she is a poor widow and has a family of four helpless children to support her by industry And although the fine imposed would be but trivial to a person in opulent circumstances, yet it is considerable to one as indigent as herself. It also gives assurance of her character as a good citizen and firmly promises that she will never sell liquor again. Throughout the years, Americans, whether singly or in groups, have had recourse to petition their elected officials, including the president, for needs that they may have. Recently, a very different kind of petition came to President Joe Biden, except instead of a single penitent liquor saleswoman looking for $16 worth of forgiveness, it was 3,000 auto dealerships asking for leniency for their industry. Take a listen to this clip from Fox News. Thousands of car dealers are calling on President Biden to pump the regenerative brakes on his electric vehicle regulations. In a letter, more than 3,000 dealerships from across the country say enthusiasm for EVs has stalled, and President Biden's goal to shift to a majority of electric vehicles in less than 10 years is just too ambitious. What has led to this request from the nation's auto dealers? And what should we think about it? For that, we turn to Diana Furchgott-Roth, director of the Center for Energy, Climate, and the Environment here at the Heritage Foundation. Diana Furchgott-Roth, welcome back to Heritage Explains. Mark, it's wonderful to be with you. Well, that is great to hear. Uh, This past week, uh, we have seen a lot of American auto dealers pointing out, in fact, a large group of them penned a letter to the Biden administration uh, talking to him about electric vehicle mandates. Apparently, the administration has been really heavy with placing mandates on the type of cars that are available in a lot of these dealers. Can you tell us kind of from the get-go what is going on for those of us who may not be in the car market right now, who may not have uh, a lot of background on what's going on with these guys? Well, Mark, it's very simple. The administration wants to get rid of the best-selling cars in America in favor of electric vehicles, but people just don't want to buy them. Right now, 6% of new cars sold are electric, and the administration 
through regulations from the Environmental Protection Agency and the Department of Transportation want to require these auto manufacturers to sell 60% of their new vehicles as electric by 2030 and 66% by 2032. These regulations would fine these auto companies if they did not sell the requisite amount of electric vehicles. The only problem is Americans don't want to buy them because they cost more, they're less convenient, they lose their battery charge in cold climates, and we all know it's getting into winter right now. And it makes the United States give up energy independence and be dependent on China. And that fits right in with the Heritage Foundation special report, Powering Human Advancement, about how people gain with reliable and affordable energy. If we don't have reliable and affordable energy, we can't get to work, we can't get to school, and Americans are naturally protesting these new regulations. But Diana, I think people who would support the move of the Biden administration on this would say that electric vehicles are the future. They are helping us to move forward into embracing this new green technology. But you would not necessarily agree with that. Is that right? Well, Americans don't want this new EV technology. And that's why these cars are piling up on dealers' lots. And almost 4,000 auto dealers have written to President Biden to ask him to hold off. And Americans know that these vehicles are not emissions-free, as the administration is saying. These vehicles use uh, electricity. And to generate electricity, you need to uh, use energy. And these are not being powered by, by nuclear power, by solar power, by wind power. They're being powered by natural gas and coal for the most part. So the emissions are there to run the vehicles. The emissions are also caused by making the vehicles because you have to make the batteries. These batteries are mostly made in China which makes them with coal-fired power plants. And then there's a lot of environmental degradation in getting the minerals for the electric batteries out of the earth. Did you know, Mark, that you have to move 500,000 pounds of earth to get enough minerals for one electric battery? And there's child workers going down in the mines to get these minerals. Wow. You mentioned that EVs also enrich China. And you just mentioned about how a lot of the sources for these electric batteries are sourced in China. Um, are there other ties that EVs have to China? Most of the components are made in China. And since the batteries are made in China, that makes the United States dependent on China for a major mode of transportation if the administration manages to do what it wants. Right now, America is energy independent. We are a net exporter of oil and natural gas. And so the internal combustion engine cars run off good old-fashioned American energy. There's even hybrid vehicles, non-plug-in hybrid vehicles, which stretch the fuel mileage so that you get great mileage out of your car. And you don't have to plug into an electric outlet. Uh, to get that battery power because the battery is powered through your engine and through the braking system. 
So we are energy independent with our transportation system now. And there are Americans who prefer to buy EVs. As I mentioned, it's about 6% of new vehicle sales. But there are people who can basically take the EV home and plug it into a high charging port in their garage and who maybe go a few miles to work and a few miles back. And they don't have to go on long trips. But if you look at farmers, small businessmen, people who rely on the best-selling vehicle in America, which is the F-150 pickup truck. Many of them don't have the opportunity just to go back and recharge this in their homes. Some of them don't live in apartments where they don't have their own personal charger. And uh, we need freedom of choice for the vehicles that we drive. Why do you think, given that so few people seem to be interested in electric vehicles as a purchase, why do you think the Biden administration is leaning so hard on such what's apparently an unpopular policy? Well, the Biden administration, as in most Democratic administrations, is divided between its blue-collar workers and its green progressives. So there's the blues and the greens. And in many Democratic administrations, they manage to come to some uneasy alliance. In this case, the blues and the greens have drastically diverged, and the greens have the upper hand. The progressives are driving the agenda. It's a food fight between two industries, and the greens are saying that climate change is an existential problem, that we cannot adapt to it, that the only way is to decarbonize and electrify. Now, this hurts the blues because the blue-collar workers need the jobs, the jobs that come from reliable and affordable energy that, as our report shows, make people better off uh, in many, many ways. And it's the predominance of the green progressives right now in the Biden administration that are forcing the push to EVs, even though, as Heritage Chief Statistician Kevin Dyeratner has shown, using government models, even if we were to wipe all fossil fuels off the map in the United States, this would only make a difference of two-tenths of one degree Celsius by the year uh, um, 2100. This will not have any effect on global emissions. If we were really interested, Mark, in lowering global emissions, we would be pushing nuclear power and natural gas. These are low-emission fuels that have resulted in a decline of 1,000 million metric tons of carbon in the United States over the past 16 years. So looking into your crystal ball, of course, it's impossible to know these things. But based on what we know right now, do you think that the Biden administration is going to shift its posture um, towards these electric vehicle mandates, or do you think they're going to double down? Mark, these mandates are not possible. They're impossible to comply with. There's just no way Americans are going to buy that many electric vehicles, considering the charging stations that we have. So the administration might try to double down on them, or they might try to move the goalposts a little bit. But they're not going to be around in 2030. In 2030, we're going to either have a new Republican administration or a new Democratic administration, but the current people are going to be gone. So it's very safe for them to say, this is what I want to do in 2030. The dangerous part is that they have managed to take away the goods that Americans like to use. No more incandescent light bulbs. No more dishwashers that wash fast and reliably. 
uh, previous administrations have managed to get rid of these and many other kinds of goods that Americans like to use. We must not let them get rid of our internal combustion engine cars the way they've gotten rid of the incandescent light bulb. Broadening our scope from the national to the world stage, there is a major climate event going on. The 2023 United Nations Climate Change Conference, also known as the Conference of the Parties of the UNFCCC, and even more commonly known as COP28. Can you tell us what this meeting is and what it might mean for Americans? COP28 is billed as a way to reduce global emissions. In fact, what it is is a transfer of wealth from rich countries to poor countries. The poor countries are asking for the equivalent of reparation. And the United Arab Emirates has said that it is going to transfer millions of dollars over to these poor countries because of the harm that's being caused by climate change. And they're also going to transfer funds so that these countries can have renewable energy such as solar and wind. The problem is that lower income countries, emerging economies cannot grow without dense, efficient energy sources. And as our report shows, hiring human advancement, human advancement cannot come solely from wind and solar power. Uh, we need fossil fuel energy to get people to a high level, a high standard of living. And it's really not fair of Western countries to be lecturing African countries, Latin American countries, Asian countries on their uses of fossil fuels to raise their standard of living when we already have such high standards of living in the West. And this is tied in with another important area for the West, uh, which is migration and border security. It's natural that if people in emerging economies do not have a good way to reach economic prosperity, they are going to try to move to North America, to the United States, to Canada. They're going to try and move from Africa to Europe. And we see this happening. The way to stop this is to help these countries build up their own economies, not to say we're going to give you money and force you to use solar and wind power. Did you know, Mark, that the World Bank will not lend for nuclear power plants and for nuclear projects mm. because, um, they, because they think that this is dangerous, but this is really the only way that these countries can get to emissions-free, dense, high-income energy growth. Uh, natural gas is another, coal-fired power plants with scrubbers are another, but we cannot tell a whole swath of the world that they have to subsist on renewables. And this is what the COP28 meetings are trying to do. So obviously, as conservatives here in the United States, we have a different vision of energy and its relation to human flourishing. Um, and we here at Heritage have a paper um, that we have put out um, that we're very excited about. And can you tell us just a little bit about it? We're going to be learning a lot more about it uh, as time goes on. But can you just kind of give us the high level? Yes, the paper is called Powering Human Advancement, Why the World Needs Reliable and Affordable Energy. And you can get a copy of it on our website. And what it shows is that the more energy people have used, the better off they are. So with uh, reliable and affordable energy here in the United States, 
Uh, we have manufacturing. We've managed to create jobs. Uh, we have running water. We have fairly reliable electricity, except in California. And the rest of the world wants to come here because they want the same kinds of prosperity as we do. And what we need to do is spread affordable energy technology to the rest of the world so that they can have the same levels, uh, the same standards of living as we do. Uh, running water should be routine. Access to electricity without blackouts. These are all things that we need reliable, affordable energy for, and that enables people to grow. And that gets me back to the EVs. I'm not sure, Mark, when the last time you visited a construction site was, but if you visit a construction site, you see that there's a lot of battered internal combustion engine vehicles usually around that construction site. These are not new EVs. You don't see the Ford F-150 Lightning or Teslas. And you don't see a lot of charging stations either. So the people that need upward mobility, that need to get to jobs such as construction jobs, they drive cars with internal combustion engines to these jobs. And getting rid of the internal combustion engine and making cars more expensive means that people won't be able to get to their jobs. They won't be able to get to school. They won't be able to go on vacation on long road trips with their kids. Because I'm not sure if you've ever tried to stop and recharge your vehicle for one or two hours with a bunch of screaming kids in the car. It really does not work. I can imagine that it doesn't. Diana, thank you so much. It's great to be with you. Thanks so much for letting me talk about this very important subject. One thing that I didn't include from the story about Jane McGraw at the top of the show, the big question, did she get her pardon? Well, as it turns out, on the final page of that petition, dated June 18th, 1805, are four words. Let a pardon issue. Signed, T.H. Jefferson. It turns out that Jane's petition was answered. In our day, concerned Americans are hoping for a similar response from our own leaders. Thank you to Diana Furchgott-Roth for her contribution to this episode. You can find more by Diana at heritage.org, or you can follow her on X at DFR underscore economics. In the show notes, you can find the full document of Jane McGraw's 1805 petition to President Thomas Jefferson. As always, thank you for listening to Heritage Explains. If you have any petitions for our show, of course, you can send them to heritageexplains at heritage.org, and they will be faithfully answered. We always look forward to hearing from our listeners all over the country. Take care. We'll see you next week. Heritage Explains is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It's written and produced by Mark Ghani, Lauren Evans, and John Pop. 